I'm Matt Downing, and welcome to Diving Deep EDU. Before we get rolling, I wanted you to hear about another great podcast. Hey, everyone. My name is Mike Dunn, and I'm one of the co-hosts of Rethinking EDU. Our podcast is a roundtable discussion about education possibility. We talk with professionals from around the country who are doing groundbreaking work reimagining and remaking schools. Come check us out at rethinkingedu.co or wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's get started. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. This podcast is based in conversations that are willing to go off on a rabbit trail or two in order to find those aha moments, those times when someone is able to say something in a way that brings increased clarity. Now, I'm an educator, so much of our conversations will have that as the end goal. How can the things that we are talking about help us to dive deeper into educational practices? Thanks for tuning in. Our guest today is Sierra Blair Coyle. Sierra has been competing professionally as a rock climber since the age of 14. Sierra is the current Pan-American bouldering champion. She has also been a World Cup competitor and, and was a 2 time national champion. Sierra enjoys traveling the world, competing and doing what she loves full time. Sierra, thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing? Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. So Sierra, tell me, when did you first experience rock climbing and and what was that like? So I first tried climbing, gosh, when I was like really little, it was at the state fair. And I don't remember that experience other than there's a picture of me doing it. So I feel like I always have to make that apparent. But um, the first time I actually remember doing it was at a local mall near my house. They had basically a portable climbing wall. And yeah, you know, I tried it and instantly fell in love. And what was it about rock climbing that caused you to fall in love with the sport? Something about it just felt right to me is the only way to say it. Um, when mm. I was younger, the second a sport got hard, I would quit because I mm. just wanted to be good at everything. But with climbing, I wanted to keep going. So yeah, I mean, something about it, it just stuck, you know, it was meant to be. Yeah. So did you find it easier than than other sports or yeah, what was it that kept you coming back? I liked it more. I mean, when mm. it got hard, I wanted to keep going. I didn't want to quit. And um that was just a big indicator that I was kind of meant to be. It was also one of those things that I would lay in bed at night thinking about climbing and, you know, like what I hadn't done that day with climbing, like if I fell on something and wanted to finish it, you know, I'd be thinking about that and being excited for the next day when I could go into the gym and get it done. Yeah. So when you're replaying those moments in your head and thinking about and planning it out, what are, what are the planning out things that, that go on in your head uh, so that you could attack it the next day? I was just thinking about the moves mainly. Um, I boulder, so it's probably like 10 or less moves generally. So you don't have a lot to remember. 
So when something, you know, is stuck in your craw, basically, you can really think about it a lot and think about the moves you're going to do and how the holds feel. And I don't know, it's crazy. Um, It doesn't happen as often now, probably because I just climb like way more than I did when I was little. Um, There's too much mm-hmm. to think about now. But yeah, when, when you get a good boulder stuck in your mind, like, yeah, you'll just be laying in bed thinking about it. Like you feel like you're climbing it and you're just basically salivating at the next opportunity you get to, you know, actually try it in, in real life. You know, I've never rock climbed. The most climbing I've done is is maybe, you know, my household ladder when I'm, I'm getting up to fix and fix something or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you could bring us into first the different types of climbing. You mentioned a, a moment ago bouldering. What are some of the major types of rock climbing that someone might do? Yeah, so I'll just kind of give you like the three main ones. And these are also the ones that you do in the Olympics. So that's kind of a good good place to draw from. But um, so what I do is bouldering. It's basically shorter climbs. We call them boulders. Um, they're probably like 18 feet high at the tallest. Uh, you land on these things called crash pads and you don't have ropes. Um, sport climbing is with a rope and you basically clip your rope into these things called quick draws on the way up and that's your safety. And um, those are going to be, you know, 30 plus feet generally. And then we have speed climbing, which is, you know, the simple one for everyone to understand. You have a rope on, but it's whoever can get to the top the fastest. Okay. So that's, yeah, that's really helpful for me to understand. And you mentioned when you're bouldering and you're, you know, you're playing in your mind, you know, how am I going to attack this boulder? So it's not as much as just, I'm going to go beat this thing. There's a lot of uh, strategy. So what's some of the strategy that goes into it? A lot of the strategy is just knowing what you're going to do ahead of time. um, Because especially as moves get harder, you don't have a lot of time to think on the wall. I mean, sometimes you do, but if you're like really at your max on like every move, you can't just sit and chill, you know, like Mm. you do one move and then it's on to the next one. Um, And not that you're being especially like quick about it, but you're just trying so hard to hang on that you can't be dawdling and thinking. So yeah, a lot of it really just comes down to like the planning of how you're going to do it. Um, But obviously at the same time, you know, you can plan, 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 but Sometimes it's different when you're actually on the wall and sometimes you just kind of get into the zone where it almost feels like you're not thinking, but somehow you're climbing. Um, And that's arguably like where you probably do the best, I would say. It's these like really weird zoned out zones you get in and um, it almost feels like you're not there, but yeah, you're still climbing. So how would you get to one of those zones where, you know, you feel like you're you're just moving, you're maybe in another dimension? Yeah. how, How do you get there? I honestly could not tell you. Um, it doesn't happen that often. And whenever it does, it's kind of happening and you're like, oh, weird, interesting. And then you get down mm. and you're like, wow, I was like pretty out of it, but somehow it worked. Um, so it's very interesting when that happens. Yeah. So as you're going forward, you're not fully making the decisions. They're just sort of happening or what's that experience like? I mean, I would say normally you're about 50% making the decisions, 50% just kind of like your body already knows what to do. Um, but yeah, when you're in that zone, it's like, 100% your body just knows what to do. Yeah, recently I watched that documentary Solo where, you know, Alex is is free climbing El Capitan um mm-hmm. and that seems like a different sort of of climbing, right? Yeah. No, I mean, free soloing it's uh very far few and in between, you know, not a lot of people do it. So you've traveled around the world climbing. You just you just got back from from a couple different places. Why do you travel around to all of these different places and what makes those surroundings so important when you climb? 
Well, I usually travel for a few different reasons. Um, competitions are a big one. That's where mm. the majority of my travels have, you know, stemmed from. Uh, doing photo shoots is another one. Uh, climbing outside and then also for training. So like right now I'm in Salt Lake City where I'm training at our like, um, we call it the training center just to specifically train. Um, and I would say, yeah, you go into all these different surroundings and they're good for kind of what they're good for. So Salt Lake's obviously here for the training. Um, you have areas outside that just are incredible outdoor climbing, uh, scenic areas, really nice lines. Uh, competitions are where competitions are, you know, just depending on the Federation. And then um, hmm. I guess for photo shoots, obviously, they tell me where to go and I show up. <laughs> Where are your, some of your favorite places to climb? I'm actually a big fan of uh, the Arizona climbing, which is where I was born and raised. Uh, Pre-Straw is probably going to forever be my favorite area. Uh, I just really like the style of climbing. And yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just been hard to beat. Like I've climbed other cool areas, but the draw is just so good and it's so close. So mm. yeah, I really enjoy it. Yeah, I'm sure you have a lot of... Um connections to that you know growing up and climbing as well um and a lot of memories associated with with some of the places um going back to it is there a certain boulder or location that you find yourself going back to again and again um not particularly um i guess you know like i said arizona areas i always like to go back there just because it feels like home Hmm. um but not necessarily one specific boulder uh just the areas in general now you you travel around as well, you know, thinking apart from climbing. What are some of the favorite places that you've traveled to? Oh, Iceland for sure. That's my number one favorite place in the world. Okay, what was that like? It's like being in a fairy tale. I mean, the landscape is just so different than anything I've ever seen and mm. I mean, the weather is uh chillier than I would like. You know, I like <laughs> nice and warm, but um just the landscape makes up for it and like the people are really nice and yeah, just Iceland is incredible. I mean, I I almost joke about living in Iceland sometimes. I think maybe if I could survive the mm. cold, I could do it. But uh, yeah, I love Iceland. Now, were you climbing there or were you just traveling for fun? I've done both. Um, I've done two trips. So my first trip was just for fun. And I like climbed mm. at the gym at the end of the trip. But uh, the second trip, two weeks of climbing outside, which was so fun. Like just a great adventure oh. in general. We were with really good people. And then um, the climbing was really nice too. I've never been to to Iceland. What's the food like? Great. I don't even know if I ate any like traditional Icelandic food, but it's nothing was like that out of my wheelhouse, I would say. Um, (laughs) Just like pretty simple and healthy. I think when I think of traditional Mm. Icelandic food, I think I think of like the sheep's head they eat and I never had sheep's head. Um, Also, if someone from Iceland's listening and I'm like really butchering the food, my apologies, but I don't know. I always think of the sheep's head. Sounds like an interesting dish. Yeah. And were you there for, you know, any of the lights that that happen throughout the year? No, I was there in summer both times. So I didn't see them. Now, thinking about, you know, your process as a rock climber and and maybe even thinking about it as as your journey, um, you know, you're learning new skills, right? As you go on, you're becoming better. What does that look like as a rock climber throughout your journey to learn new skills, to become better? How does that happen? It's through a lot of training and a lot of hard work. Um, You kind of have like strength skills and technique skills is the best way to put it. So strength skills, sometimes they can be like a little more concrete to train because you'll see a certain move and you're like, wow, I'd be a lot better at this move if like my biceps are stronger or, Hmm. you know, something like that. But Technique skills are like a certain style of move that you have to figure out how to train that. It's usually on the wall. Um, 
So I guess hopefully that was a roundabout answer to the question. Yeah. So which area do you feel like you excel more at? The strength skills or the technique skills? I mean, technique skills in general, but they definitely need work in certain areas. I mean, there are certain moves that I just like habitually have a difficult time with. So, you know, I'm always trying to work on improving those. And then um, for me, I definitely can get stronger. You know, I can always get stronger. So I try and work that angle as well. So thinking about the technique, you know, and that being a a big part of of what you're doing and, and growing and becoming better, what are some ways that you have found really helpful in getting better at a technique or learning something and, or maybe you were up against something. You're like, I can't get this. I can't get this. And then finally you did something some way and you were able to get it. Are you able to explain something like that? Yeah. It's a lot of practice for the technique. Um, just because the more you do it, the better you get at it and your timing gets a lot better. Um, and I would also say sometimes like in climbing, by the time your technique is catching up to learning the move, like in one session, you know, like in a three hour session, your strength is going down. So a lot of times mm. what happens is like by the end of the session, you're like, I'm going to come in tomorrow first thing and I'm going to like do this no problem. And that's always what happens. So yeah, it's just <laughs> repeatedly working on it. It's interesting. You just said something too that jumped out to me. I wouldn't think of timing as an important component in rock climbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what I mean by timing is it's just like, you don't always move up the wall at the same speed. And this isn't something you'd ever really think about. Um, But if you just watch someone climb, like some moves happen faster or slower than others. Hmm. So that's a lot of timing. And then when we do kind of like coordination and jumping things, that's timing as well, because you have like your whole body, it'll get all these like millions of pieces together to, you know, grab this one hole that kind of like the exact right time. And um, it's also a thing that you generally don't think about very much. Like every once in a while, you're afforded the opportunity to think about it as it's happening, but it's pretty rare. Um, Mm. So yeah, timing is actually very, very important in climbing. And I think it becomes more important um, each year as the sport progresses. And do you get that? I mean, do you get better timing? Is that also just through practice? Or is there something that you can do to help facilitate that? Definitely practice. That's what I'd say the number one thing is. Hmm. So you have the timing component, right? You have technique that, again, um, you know, you're talking about practice, uh, you know, over and over and over again. But then the strength component, I just wanted to hear a little bit more about that. So as you're building up your strength, what are some best strategies that you've been able to find that have helped you do that? So strength is tricky because I would argue it's a little different for everyone. There are some people who just, man, they were born and could squat a house Um, so you just, you have to figure out like where your weaknesses are in climbing and Mm. what you can do strength wise to attack them. So that's what I do. I mean, I obviously have to focus on being well-rounded as well, but then I like would put a heavier emphasis on, you know, certain areas. Um, and I guess what has always worked best for strength training with me is like mixing it up when you feel like you need to mix it up. Like I'll usually Mm. run three or four week kind of like training cycles, doing more or less the same exercises and then like taper for a week or two and then get into a new cycle of different exercises. Um, I'm a big believer in, you know, sticking to the program, but also you got to go by how your body feels. So I rely on that a lot. Now, has there been a certain strength training uh, strategy? You know, let's say someone's listening here and and they want to get stronger. Has there been something that you've done that you found really successful for you? And But again, I think it was really helpful how you said everyone's body is unique. But has there been a breakthrough that, that you've experienced? 
well, I think the number one thing for anyone is going to be consistency. Mm. Uh, people are always looking for like the magic workout. But even if you're doing a workout that's not really conclusive to like what you exactly need, if you just do it for like two months straight, like you're going to get stronger and better mm. and it's going to benefit you. Like it might not be the most beneficial, like maybe you could do something a little better, but um, mm. yeah, consistency is key. And then for me, getting my pulling power stronger has always helped me a lot. Um, I also, right now I'm trying to get my legs stronger, but for me, it's almost not even like my legs can get stronger. That's for sure. But it's just my timing with like jumping and stuff. And like positionally is not as great as it should be. Um, so there's like that piece of the puzzle too. Now I've seen, you know, some of your, uh, rock climbing and it seems like, you know, there obviously could be some injuries as you're, as you're climbing, have you experienced any big injuries, you know, a big fall or, uh, you know, hurting something as you've been trying to do some of some of your climbing? Yeah, I would say my worst injury was actually just from overtraining. I had a bulging torn really? herniated disc in my back. Yeah. Um, but other like actual falling injuries, I've had a handful of sprained ankles, which doesn't really happen anymore, knock on wood, because uh, I, you know, with stronger legs and like just calf raises help your ankles so much. Um, mm. But yeah, I think most of my injuries now are from like hitting holds when I fall. I've got like this huge like scrape on my leg right now uh, from last week, but yeah, luckily not a lot of falling injuries. Um, yeah, we we definitely eat it a lot, but we survive. <laughs> so you you had a herniated disc from overworking. That's what? the only thing I can think that it's from because there was no like one incident where all of a sudden I was like, oh my back, you know, it was it was slowly going for probably like a year and a half. Um, and I oh, was, wow. you know, doing the thing, taking Advil or whatever. And, um, hmm. yeah. And then just at, finally went in and got an MRI. I think my, like, no one even thought it was going to be anything. And then we like saw the MRI and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't know how to read these, but that's wrong. That's for sure. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so how long was the recovery? Um, it probably took me about two years to get back to normal. Uh, the entire really? time I still climbed throughout it. And when I was getting like PRP injections, that's the thing that helped my back the most. But um, yeah, it was uh, also one of those things where like some days I'd have good back days, some days I'd have bad back days. And I just like tried to work around it as much as I could. And um, ultimately I was able to, and I don't know, like I think about if I'd taken time off, like would it have made my recovery faster? And I'm like, I don't really think so. Like my back hurt, like walking from the car to the house, you know, so mm. I would have just lost like even more skills and probably still been in pain. What's, what's your recovery like now? Has it been fully healed? How's it feeling? You know, I feel like it's probably a little sassier than other people. Um, but also, I mean, as lame as it sounds, I'm almost 27. Like, I think your back just starts hurting at this age, too. Like, all of my <laughs> friends, we always complain about our backs hurting, you know? So, hopefully, it's just that, I guess. Yeah, I've never heard anyone describe their back as sassy. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sierra, you're obviously a very active and physical person. I mean, you climb rocks. Uh, you know, you obviously learn by doing, you know, thinking of a, a lot of the examples that you've shared. You know, you're like, yeah, practice over and over and over and over and over again. And I kind of wanted to get some of your insight into your, you know, your education experience. And thinking back to your K-12 experience, what was the learning experience like for you in school where a lot of times uh, schools are traditional? Um, what was that like for you? Um, let's see. I mean, school's pretty like regular for me, I would say. Um, I never really thought too much about it. Like now as an adult, I realized I went to like good public schools, you know, just based on the area they were in. Um, but at the time I was just kind of there, like, 
I didn't dislike school and I didn't particularly like it, but I getting good mm. grades was always important to me. So yeah, yeah, I was just always there, like kind of trying to pay attention, trying to do my work and um, always looking forward to going climbing at the end of the day. And um, I'd, I'd work ahead of my classes when I could and put myself in the best position, you know, to be climbing. You know, I'm thinking, what could schools learn? As I'm hearing you say that, I'm like, what could schools learn? from what you just said. And and what I mean is this, how could schools emulate the things that you love about rock climbing in the actual school so that you wouldn't have to like sort of put up with school to rock climb, but things could be done in a way that sort of captured your interest and your skills and, and your giftings. This might not be the exact answer, like for the question you're asking, but the one thing that I would say is like, when I go to training, it's not like I have downtime, you know, like hmm. you have some like scheduled rest, obviously you need them, but there's not a lot of sitting around. And at least when I was in school, like there's a lot of sitting around and like, yeah. um, you know, time that passes. And I always remember my parents talking about this and I, I agree at this point, like if you're sick from school for three days and you have to like do all of your work you missed and all of your homework, you get it done in like half a day or something at home. <laughs> Exactly. You're like, why am I spending like, why can I do it in, you know, one sixth of the time or something? Hmm. You know, like what's, what's the deal with that? So I think also that would just make it more enjoyable to go to school too. Cause it's like, you're, that's such a long time to be there already, you know? So I don't know that more efficiency. I mean, it's a, it's a difficult answer for sure, but yeah, yeah, just not, I don't know, man. And I think people do better when they have things to do. Like I was always done with my work early in class. So I would like read books or like read ahead and whatever we were doing. Like whenever the teacher would call me to read in class, I'd always be like, oh, what page are we on? I'm like 10 pages <laughs> ahead, you know? So yeah, we, I think efficiency would be better. Yeah. And you seem very highly motivated. I mean, you're reading ahead, you're doing this, you're doing that, but not every, uh, every person is like that. You know, what could have happened, do you think, within school to make them more efficient. Just I'm just sort of trying to get your opinion here as you're looking back and there's a lot of wasted time. What could have been done to make it more efficient or more productive or the ability to move things along in a quicker pace? I mean, oh, this is such a tricky question and like I have so like full disclaimer, I just have so little experience with like children in general. Um, you know, my nephew's 3 so he's not even at school age yet, but I'm a pretty big proponent of kind of like sink or swim. Like this is, this is what we're mm. doing. Like get on board with it. And I know some people like it does just take them longer. Like I'm not talking about like people who legitimately just like need more time, like process a little bit differently, but like there are always those kids who just like are spazzing around, you know? And I think maybe some more like, Hey, like this is what we're doing. Like you're either in or you're out, you know? And that's how I feel like yeah. at least in athletics for me growing up, it was always like you're either in or you're out, like you're training or like, you're going to sit on the ground and not do anything and go home. So I mm. think that, I don't know, it's probably harsh, but that's my, uh, <laughs> you want it. <laughs> you as an active learner, right? You're, you're a physical person, you're, you're climbing, you're doing, you're, you know, going up, you know, mountains and those sorts of things. How were you able to succeed in school where it's, you know, sometimes the opposite. It's like, sit there, you know, don't move around. How, how were you able to do well? I wanted to do well. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. I always want to do well in everything I do. So I think part of it's probably just how I'm wired. Part of it's just how I was raised. But, yeah. you know, it was always like, 
aiming for the A's. And then I remember when I like got into college and I think, so the worst grade I've ever gotten on like report card was I got a C in my accounting class. And that was like very hard for me, but I mean, I worked Mm. my butt off and (laughs) it just, whatever, it didn't click. I tried my hardest. I did my best. Um, but just succeeding has always been important to me. And, Mm. you know, I might not have liked like sitting around and being bored in school, but, um, it was also just like means to an end in a way, you know, it was means yeah. to me being successful. And you were able to see that and just sort of uh, break through that and, and keep it moving. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I want to circle back a little bit to the rock climbing. So in thinking about your teachers, you know, within the rock climbing environment, what have been some really helpful ways that people have helped instruct you um, as you've grown as a rock climber? like my climbing coaches or in school? Yeah, thinking about your climbing coaches. I think just having, I mean, I haven't had a lot of climbing coaches. That's the thing. Um, I've had two coaches and then I kind of have one now, our US team coach. Um, But I would say the thing that was always the most helpful is just kind of having like that support there. Um, Hmm. Because I've, I had one coach who was a lot of fun, but not like super organized. Um, But he is just, so supportive and he's still supportive to this day, you know, and then another coach that was, you know, more organized and also supportive and, you know, that's good too. But just the feeling of like knowing someone has your back Hmm. is incredible. Um, and I don't know, like, it's kind of weird to relate that to climbing, but it's just like something about having the presence of a coach sometime there is comforting, Hmm. you know, like, and I was never really worried about like pleasing or displeasing a coach. I just, I was always trying yeah. to do my best. It was about me, but um, I always liked having a coach there and someone who I could uh, talk to when it went wrong and celebrate with when it went right. That's really powerful thinking about how important that is to have that support. As you think about for a moment, you know, ways that your different coaches were supportive, you know, what were some what were some tangible ways that that they showed support for you that sort of helped propel you forward? Um, I just think like, talking to me after competitions or like during training and just like that attention they can give you, you know, um, I know I'm not doing like a super great job pinpointing this one, but they're just around, you know, like when you just, you feel like someone's just around for you. It's, it's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that can make a world of a difference, you know, thinking about you and how successful you've been and then other people in other arenas, you know, the impact that that support can make. And then now, you know, even trying to connect this to K-12 education, you know, just thinking the power of support for students and for individuals that are trying to succeed and move on. And like, you just kept using the word, like, there's nothing crazy they did. Like, they're just there, you know? And that, yeah. And the power of that and the importance of that. And, uh, and I just want to thank you for, for pointing that out and just making it seem so simple, like basic, like, yeah, they were just there. Yeah, absolutely. Sierra, as we get to the end of our conversation, who do you want to give a shout out to? Oof, I mean, the list should probably be long, uh, but I would say one of our family friends, his name's Brad. He's been a big support to me this year. So hmm. give a nice shout out to Brad. He's uh, helped me or he taught me how to change my own oil and uh, has helped me in many other areas of life as well. Time for the final Word, Sarah, what would you like to say to close out this podcast? All right. My closing statement is um, with hard work 
you truly can do anything. And, you know, it sounds so cliche, but I can guarantee you if you're working your butt off at anything in life, it might not turn out exactly how you're imagining it would, but you're going to end up in a great place and you're going to be proud of yourself for getting there. So don't ever throw in the towel. Just take one day off and then get back to fighting. Sierra, this has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. I appreciate your insight and your unique perspective. To those listening, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Diving Deep EDU. If you like this episode, subscribe, share it out, post a review on Apple Podcasts. All of those things will help get this podcast out to more people. Until next time. Wow, it's time to reflect. That's astounding. You've been checking out the podcast from Matthew Downing. Hope you like diving deep like a scuba diver. And the show provoked hope. That's our true desire.